Hi everybody, hope this finds us all doing really well. We're up to part number 14 in this Marriage Covenant resource, and we're covering quite a bit of deep, revealed truth in these 14 parts so far, and really would encourage us to take the time and to spend the time marinating in what is being released here, this prophetic dimension, which is for the church, which the church is to see, and lay hold of and possess so she lives in accordance towards this prophetic already written already declared reality that god has for the church and part 14 is quite a bit like part four where we're going to ask the question around who is it that we really truly love this is the relational test next week we're going to look at the missional test in an alignment to this deep fellowship, this relationship with our Messiah, this covenantal relationship. But firstly, this is the relational test, looking at who we truly love, who is really at the center of our very being. And it's important that we know this because God must have center stage in our lives. He must be the source of our life. He must be in that hidden most being place where love flows forth out of us as a wellspring of life. It's not only important that God lives there, but that we actually from that reality love the Lord Jesus Christ, love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength as our number one being. No one should even come close to that center stage. Not a spouse, not a parent, not a child, not a dog, not a cat. Nothing and no one should ever come anywhere near taking that center stage part in our lives. So we're able to keep the great commandment, which is the first instruction of the covenant, the marriage covenant. And unfortunately for many, we believe and perceive that in doing things in functional works like going to a building for a service or being part of a discipleship group or sharing our faith or maybe it's about going on missions somewhere, all these functional things that we do, we believe that primarily this is how we love God, but it's a false reality. This is not how we primarily love God. In fact, you can do all those things and not have any idea who God is. It's fully possible to heal the sick and not have a clue, to not know him. And we've talked about how knowing and love are absolutely intertwined into one reality. It's not two. If we know him, we love him. If we love him, then we do know him. And so it's essential that we fulfill this reality you know it's no different to a workplace just because you go to work and you fulfill the commitments of the job description it doesn't mean that you love the company you work for it doesn't mean that you love the boss in fact it has no saying of whether you love the job you might in fact detest the very thing that you do but you do it anyway even though you don't love it because you're getting paid to do it you're supposed to do it or this is the expectations that come with the job description. That's not how we're to live our Christian lives. We're to be so enthralled with God. We're to be consumed in love and of love that the natural expression of love 
is just to completely lose and surrender our very being. There is nothing greater than loving God. God shouldn't compete with any other human being or possession because he is our all. And once we know him, he never does. He never competes for anything in our hearts once we truly know him and have fallen in love. And we'll find ourselves passing this relational test. It's so essential that God is at the core, as I've said. And David wrote this in Psalm 51.6. He said, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the innermost being. God desires truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you, God, will make me know wisdom. This is David's cry on behalf of God himself. And we have to ask ourselves, who is truth? And who is wisdom? Because it's very clear that God wants truth at the center of our very being. And God wants to make wisdom known in that place. So under this new covenant, who is truth and who is wisdom? Is truth being right or wrong? Is it good or bad? Is it a principle, a rule or a guideline? And who is wisdom? Is wisdom informational knowledge that you learn about a subject or a topic, i.e. God, and you store it up in your head? I think we know who truth is, and I think we know who wisdom is. Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, he is the embodiment of love itself. And Jesus alone is to reside and take up residency in the hidden, most inner part place of our heart. Jesus alone is to be at our inner core, our root system, so we become fully capable of loving God with our entire being, passing this relational test and keeping this commandment of love. You know, the reality is when the Word of God turns up in power, it's going to expose the true condition of our heart, and it has to do that to expel what's within it, to be replaced with love or his word. So the word of God, which is sharper than a double-edged sword, comes and it exposes what's in the heart. If there is another person there, if there is an object there, if there is a possession, whatever is there will get exposed by the word for the purpose of expelling it, to bring us into freedom, into love. You know, Luke 14, 26, I think is one of the most confronting passages of Scripture that Jesus spoke. And as we know, Jesus' words are spirit and life. So there is incredible spirit and life and purpose behind these words in Luke 14, 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... The closest relational connection. If you don't hate those people, yes, and even your own life, you cannot be his disciple. And what's fascinating here is Jesus is addressing three issues that we must address as his followers. He's addressing a lordship issue. He's addressing an adultery issue. And he's addressing an idolatry issue. Three things that Jesus is addressing through the word coming out of his mouth, which is spirit and life, in the hearts of his disciples, in the hearts of his followers. He's saying, unless you hate 
These people, including yourself, you cannot be my disciple. The gap between me and everyone else should be massive. It should be as wide, as wider than the Grand Canyon. There shouldn't be anyone close to this number one posture. Otherwise, you're caught in idolatry, adultery, and false lordship. You will be the lordship of your own heart. Jesus must have center stage and he must be the one that we love. So we pass this relational test because remember, he's given us everything for this to be a reality. This is why he says in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves a father or mother more than him is not worthy of him. That's a big call. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are the words of Jesus himself. And these words are to pierce that innermost place to test if those people are there. And the word will bring those people out and will place those people with Christ himself. And it's essential that we get this down, that Jesus does not say this and do this to shame us, to condemn us, to punish us or to make us feel guilty. Jesus says what he says so we can be free from us. Jesus came to heal the broken heart of Jesus came to bring an eternal life in the core of a earthly flesh suit that we could live out an eternal life. So for that to happen, he's got to get every bit of earth out of that innermost being place and he's got to replace it with eternal life who we know is Jesus himself and to know him is eternal life, love. And when life sits up home, when love resides and abides deep in that hidden place, then we know wisdom, we know truth, and we're able to keep that commandment and pass the relational test of loving the Father with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is why David taught in Proverbs 4.23 this reality, watch over your heart with all diligence. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. From the heart flows the springs of life. God's desire and chosen reality for us is that we would all pass this love test. He gives us everything, as I've said, pertaining to life and godliness. When he gave us his son, Jesus, to be at the center, the root system of our very being. So we're able to pass this test. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8.3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. In other words, God knows those that are passing the test. God knows those who love him with all their heart, soul, mind, strength compared to those who think they do and believe they do while they still have their own lives, maybe a son or a daughter, a mother, a brother, a cat, a dog at the center of their own lives. God knows those people that truly love those people and those things versus those who truly love God. And as I said before, it's not based on what you do for God that proves that you love God. There are many forms of love and they will be expressed when we do love him, but it's not the primary proof. And so pray this encourages us. I've got some questions for us to think about and grapple with, but I wonder if we are passing this love test of loving the Father with the love of heaven. 
So here's the first question. Why does the Father want truth in our innermost being place? Why is it God which makes us know wisdom in the hidden part? Why is it God who makes us know wisdom and not ourselves or someone else? Why is hating others a prerequisite for us as his followers? How does loving others more than God get in the way of our relationship with God and make us unworthy? And why is it imperative that we guard our hearts? Tune in for number 15, where we're going to look at the uh, talents test, which is the missional test of how we've lived our lives. Take care.